This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like in the old days when, uh, I mean, I've got to say, welcome to Newcastle Central Library, which is a wonderful facility here in the heart of the Northeast. Um, where's the, have you got the sound fest there already? Yes. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> so the answer is no, he hasn't. On YouTube. Let's go to YouTube. Packed audience here in uh, Newcastle. Thanks. Hello, Newcastle. Hello, Newcastle. That hasn't worked yet. Hang on. I feel like Bruce Forster. I'll get it in a moment. Like the start of play your cards. Right? What a wonderful audience. It's so much better than last week in Newcastle. There's nothing like being prepared, is no, there? No, it would really upset the team. And this is nothing like being prepared. There you go. <laughs> Last the years off the people watching at home. We're live in Newcastle. It is the eve of the 2021 Rugby League World Cup. I don't know if you've noticed, by the way, uh, the esteemed panel here, which is very representative of the Rugby League press box. <laughs> um, that if you type in hashtag RLWC2021 on Twitter, nothing comes up. If you put 2022, it comes up with a little trophy icon. All right. So Twitter are done us, so you're going to have to use both hashtags now. Jack Can't... Dorsey's fault. Jack Dorsey. What happened to Tom from MySpace? Where's he? <laughs> Probably in the same place as my MySpace site is. <laughs> Gary Look, Carter from The Sun. Remember Bebo? Bebo. Yeah. That's because Matt's younger than all of yeah. us. Yeah, but I, yeah. I remember Bebo. I was Bebo. a Bebo. Bebo demon, yeah. Jesus. What, what's your job title on that these days? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, rugby League Live Editor. A bit of a mouthful. Then, Editor at Large, Editor Editor. Managing Editor. Managing Editor. Too many job titles. Welcome to our pre-World Cup panel. Unfortunately, the, the World Cup are having a gala dinner, none of which uh, have we been invited to, or we haven't been invited to. None Wouldn't have gone anyway. No. No. Been to the pub. <laughs> Purely on soft drinks, despite what. Yeah, I say, yeah. On a on the Brian McDermott scale of two to nine, Gary Carter, how excited are you for the Rugby League World Cup? It's finally here. Well, if it's the Brian McDermott scale, I'll probably go two. Two being the highest you can get. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's not watching. 
I hope he's not anywhere near not anywhere near where I am after having, after having just said that. He's preparing Fiji. He'll I might it. I might not be on next month's podcast. That's right. <laughs> Propping up the foundations of the Newcastle flyover. <laughs> now no, no, it's finally here, though. I, I am starting to get excited. I, I mean, all week, obviously, we had the launch on Monday in Manchester, which was great. Um, if, if a bit running late, really enjoyed the, the speech um, from the MP fella. The, the poetry was wonderful, um, and now it's here. Oh, it's, it's here, but I mean, the the excitement's always been there. I mean, I was at the World Cup business event in Manchester about three weeks ago now, and Tony Walsh was there then, and the speech he delivered then was just as good as the one he gave at the World Cup launch. But the way it's, it's sort of like you appeal to different sort of we're, now we're sort of appealing to sort of everyone, whereas. That was a very sort of specialised audience it was appealing to. But even then you could sense that they were excited, like the business community was excited, which is one of the main things that, that they're aiming for for the World Cup tournament. How much are you, Matt? <clears throat> oh, I'm very excited, to be fair. Um, if you'd asked me about a week ago, I wasn't excited at all, because <laughs> I was uh, on a week off, I was in Benidorm. <laughs> Jeremy knows all too well about that trip. Um, really? Oh, yes. Yeah. Long story. Uh, that's the di- <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the director's cup. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And um, but now, yeah, launch was good. Um, I think the thing that's got me is seeing all the the teams in all the various random locations across the UK, like Cook Islands in Middlesbrough. It just just does, just sounds odd, doesn't it? But it's been great. Um, and you know what? The more I look into it, the more I think I don't know who's going to win this thing. You know, not it's like Super League. You think. You always go, oh, well, Cass could have a year, or Whitman, not Wakefield, but sorry, Richard. But <laughs> Sol- <laughs> you know, Sol- Salford could do something, or and you know, no, they couldn't, not really. But then with this, like Samoa could have a run, Tonga could have a run, England could have a, possibly have a run. I think that's great. It's a bit of unpredictability that we've not had before. England could have a run. The audience could. Tony, how excited? Well, always excited. But international rugby league. I think um, some of the best times I've had in the sport have sort of been for international games and international tournaments. There's nothing better really than, than wandering the world watching rugby league. Um, and one of the things that always seems to get levelled at the game, in fact people used to say it, didn't they? If you want to, if, if you want to travel the world, play rugby union. If you want to travel Wigan and St Helens and Leeds, play rugby league. But it's always been a little bit of a myth that... and. I mean, I've, I've personally seen games in the Lebanon, in Beirut and Russia. I wouldn't want to go there at the moment, but I mean, <laughs> Moscow, Tatarstan, south of France, obviously, places like that, not, not, without getting into the Pacific Islands and Australia and New Zealand. So you, you kind of get around the world, and rugby league's always had that international dimension, but like, as in, in a lot of other ways, it's never really targeted it properly or tried to organise it in any meaningful sense. Um, and I think that this World Cup... Is the culmination of a lot of things, really. Even the 2001, which everybody ridicules and says was rubbish, was was the start. Well, actually, 1995 was the start. 2000 sort of pushed that idea out that you could have teams from Lebanon and places like that. And now, we'll last at Lebanon, they're taken as a completely natural team to be in it this year. We're going to have Jamaica. Um, so, so I think if you're a rugby league fan, you've got to look forward to something like a World Cup. No point asking Phil how exciting he is because <laughs> off the scale, even a Brian McDermott scale. If um, if there was a competition for the giddiest kipper, it <laughs> would indeed be me. Um, absolutely passionate about international rugby league. We, 
I can vaguely remember um, the 1970 World Cup final, the notorious Battle of Leeds at Headingley, uh, where we all, well, I say we all, I was, I was only young at the time, um, but we turned up being told to expect a, a Great Britain victory and they lost in a, in a match that turned out to be uh, more violent than rugby. Um, but that sort of fired the, the fact that you know, every three or four years you'd see a touring team come over, be the Kangaroos or the Kiwis, and there were major events. You know, as, as, a, as a little insular northern town where we used to love when Great Britain was on tour, getting the Yorkshire Evening Post and going, I wonder where Wide Bay is. Great Britain have been there, I've no idea. Mm. But then when they used to come over, and I, I can vividly remember um, the 78 kangaroo tourists were in a local pub called The Chamber, sadly not there anymore. Um, there used to be a very, very big rugby league pub in the north of Leeds. George Broughton, who uh, played on the wing for Leeds in the 50s, was the landlord and always used to invite the tourists up. And we were just in there and there were Australian tourists there in their tracksuits with kangaroos on the back and we got them to sign BMS. And you never forget moments like that. And, and only international rugby league can do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is what the third one will have done where we've recorded every single minute of every game and it's just a joy. For our audience here in Newcastle, Phil's from the mean streets of Leeds, you may have heard about them <laughs> on the news recently. I'm talking to an empty chair, they don't you? You and Liz trust from those mean streets, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Dangerous, dangerous streets. I mean, we've we, we, all been to Headingley, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, uh-huh. mentioning Liz Truss has just dated this podcast no end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably out of date by tomorrow. <laughs> Gemma, are you excited for the World Cup? Yeah, bring it on. Excited for um, Tonga more than anything. Is that anything to do with rugby? Oh, everything to do with oh, sorry. rugby. Sorry, that's a terrible, terrible thing to insinuate. Um, yeah, I, can't, I want to see Tonga again. I loved Fiji last week with the hymn. You know, I like those little touches. Things that they're things that you don't see in the domestic game. That's actually been the disappointment of the tournament so far for me. I went to the Shea, which is a long trip for me, all of a mile and a half. <laughs> To um, <laughs> to watch Tonga France and um, they didn't do the pre-match ritual. They they announced it. They were ready to do it. Good to go. And then they just kicked off. Loved. Just didn't do it. There were two yeah. hackers at least. You could have had one. I know. I know. Well, that, that was that was the one saving grace. Did make the trip. I did two games in one day, which unlike me, I don't normally work hard enough for that. Doing that tomorrow. No, me and Rich. tomorrow for me. Oh yeah, good man. Good man. Well, there might be sleep for most of the second game, but yeah. Was it a good atmosphere though? Because of the last World Cup, the Tongan game was the one that had like the ultimate atmosphere. And I appreciate we can't replicate that over here, but it did look like a community came out to support it, that. Game. It was unbelievable. The the um, I don't know how well people know the share, but the banquet suite has like a little I want to call it a balcony. It's not really a balcony. It's whatever you want to call it. And um, they were all on there, and they all had the flags draped over them. There was a guy who I can only describe, you think, you know, the Union Jack suit that you see people wear, like the races. He had, like, yeah. a Tongan equivalent on, which was brilliant, just all red. And there was one guy, and I don't know how he got it through uh, security, because at the Shea, they don't let you bring anything in, like bag of sweets to turn away. <laughs> he came with a, the biggest speaker I've ever seen. He was just carrying it around yeah. above his head, just blaring music out. And you, other fans were like, they won't even let me bring an apple in. Who, who was going to stop it? Well, yeah, I think this was yeah. the yeah. Uh, the the Tonga Tonga England game in Auckland at the 2017 World Cup was one of those I was there moments. Like we turned up for the game about three and a half hours before kickoff, 
and the place was rammed full of Tonga fans already. By the time kickoff came, the game was almost like spot the England fan. It was like, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. <laughs> but but honestly, the, the, pre- the press box at Mount Smart was at the very back of the stand, and three rows in front of the press box was a bride and groom who literally came from the chapel. Like the, the bride was still in a wedding dress, and the groom was in his suit and everything. And two seats along from them was a guy who was probably about six foot six, four foot wide, not an ounce of fat on him. And he had this massive Tongan flag. And he just held the Tongan flag up all like, for 80 minutes. I felt like shouting at the press box, is your, is your arm not hurting, mate? But, and weirdly, the moment that sealed it for England, the Andrew Fafita knock on, I actually had to watch that, that knock on through, through a Tongan flag because it was right behind where the Tongan flag was. But it was, it was unbelievable. Those are the things that I want to see this tournament. Obviously, I want to see the product on the pitch as well. And hopefully England get to the final. But I want to see the communities coming together. Yeah, I think that's more important for a nation like Jamaica, who I think when you look at the squad that they've got and the group that they're in, may not make the quarterfinals. But they're going to bring something different from the cultural side of things. It, you know, steel, steel bands uh, under the South Stand are heading will be fantastic. And... Uh, yeah, you know, that that that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like I remember people when, there who perhaps you, you wouldn't normally see at rugby. I remember when Jamaica made the World Cup football World Cup in ninety eight. Their World Cup friendly was at Manchester City, City's old main road ground, and there was twenty five thousand people there just because it was Jamaica. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kick, that's a, something you just you can't not tap into, you know, mm-hmm. just for having Jamaica there. I mean, okay, they might have like four or five actual Jamaica-based players in the squad, but the fact it's Jamaica and the communities it opens up to the game, you can't, you just can't turn that down. We don't want to talk about eligibility because we'll end up talking about Victor Radley. And... Yeah, but I think we've got to get away from that. I don't even think that should be a topic. Um, I don't think there's any sport yeah. at the moment where there aren't heritage players. I thought, the, I thought the crowd were invading the pitch. <laughs> no, no. Well, you talk about Victor Radley, who was the the most charismatic when we all spoke to him, like yeah, the one that was the best character. But listen to Michael Checker really? and what it means to yeah, be yeah. the coach of Lebanon. And, and you, you know, it's his parents that had to emigrate from yeah. Lebanon to allow him to have the lifestyle he's had in Australia, and he wants to pay that back. I mean, I, I just don't think we even need to mention it or get hung up with I don't, it. I don't think it's fantastic. I don't think people have moaned about it or challenged enough about it. I mean, if, if you go back to the... I, I fell in love with cricket back around 2005 and that Ashes team. Well, how many of them were, the, were under the same eligibility rules playing for was it? Was it five of that team were South African? Well, Peter have had to play, haven't you, for so many years was, to get eligibility? Yes, he had, yeah, yeah. So they, you know, but no one bats an eyelid and talk about that team as being one of the great sporting teams England have had over the past, well, this millennium. But it's the same, you know, why, why does it matter in rugby it league? Matter. It's typical well, rugby but, league, but, isn't it? But there's, t- there's two sides to this going on. On the one hand, everybody's saying it's the Tongan revolution because it was the gang of five that decided they were going to follow their heritage rather than 
play for New Zealand. We've all lauded that and said, isn't that great? Because it's made them a, almost a tier one nation and more teams come in it. So I want to do what Tonga are doing. And then when other nations do it, you go, oh, no, you can't do it. Then when England bring right. in Victor Adler. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Right. Oh, You'll yeah. winning play in the final. How, how, how dare you play for your dad, for the country of your dad's birth? Shocking behaviour. If, you've, Don't got, do if it. you've got an England shirt on or a Scotland shirt on or an Ireland shirt on, you are representing the country. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all that's yeah. And again, even, um, even in football recently and I'm trying to think who the player was. Is it Matty Cash? I don't know why. Plays for Poland. Aston Villa who plays for Poland because his father's from Was it the Poland? Does, doesn't Bruce the... Sahar play for Ivory Coast now having already played for England? I'm not sure. Well, and it's the Chilean, Chilean fellow at Blackpool. Blackburn. Stokes, Stokes, Brent Berriton who's now Chile's Brent Berriton Diaz. Well, again, no one bats an island. So why do we harp on and on and on? Well, I don't think it's only within the game. But yeah. I think people from the outside harp on about What's it, even so. better is we can have this debate in a couple of weeks' time when the Women's World Cup comes along because their playing for England, likely in the seventh shirt, is Courtney Winfield Hill, mm-hmm. who's as English as you and I because he's married to an English woman. Yeah, I'm married to an English woman. Actually, the other thing we need to point, sort of talk about straight away is that this World Cup, for all the things we've all spoken about before, and on top of that, the competitiveness, hopefully, of it as well. So you've got more chances of people winning it than ever. Yeah. Talking about the men's game, aren't we? And we've also got a women's World Cup and a wheelchair World Cup as well, which are also going to get massive profile on the BBC. Um, and so when you're talking about it being a potentially game-changing tournament, that's genuine. It's not hype. No, it's no, got real potential no. to right. do massive things for this game. And those players getting paid for the first time mm-hmm. ever as well. That is, like, landmark. Yeah. So. I think Connie Winfield Hill is the only player involved in the tournament who's married to a World Cup winner. So, <laughs> feel free to steal. I've been meaning to ask her about it for months, as Phil knows, but I've never had the chance to do it. So, yeah. you know, feel free to. Why don't you get the Sid Hines line in 40 Did you? Yeah. Oh, that's good then. She didn't know who it was. No, she was she it says that. <laughs> uh, so, it should qualify the men's tournament kicks off tomorrow because it does with England versus yeah. Samoa. And I've seen the pictures they've put out today. St James's Park looks absolutely superb. I, I don't actually know what kind of atmosphere we're going to expect because it's, it's kind of journeying into the unknown in this World Cup where for the first time on these shores, obviously 2013 seems a long time ago now and it was, but it was a World Cup between England, Australia and New Zealand. Now we've got Samoa, Tonga, Fiji have been in countless semi-finals. Well, you can count them. I just can't remember. Three. Three. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you've got the other nations who are likely to put up a fight against each other it is a really interesting tournament and as much as it, obviously we all want England to win but if England didn't win and Samoa did or Tonga did I'm not sure what, what, would, what do you think that would do for the sport because it, it, it's I can't think of any other sport where on a global scale a nation of the size of Tonga or Samoa would be the world champions well I think what, what it would do is it would accelerate the, the growth of the international rugby league I think you would see What's happened? We've already seen it now, as, as Phil alluded to, with with what's happened with Tonga and Tamalolo and, and the rest, and we've now seen it with Samoa. I think you'll see it more and more. And I think you know, I think Fiji's got it's huge in Fiji's rugby league, but it doesn't seem to quite get the the same recognition as it does in how popular it is in PNG, as an example. But I think I think what we would see is even British clubs taking on more of these players from from those countries I certainly think the NRL already do a lot of that but I just think even beyond nations in the World Cup you look at there are people in America who 
you know, it's not quite gone to plan so far, but want to make it work. And, and North America could it be the catalyst to tapping into their seeing that, well, if a country the size of Tonga can do it, why can't we, the United States of America, do it? I think, I, I think, so long as, and this sounds awful because I don't, I have nothing against either. I think if, as long as Australia or New Zealand don't win, <laughs> it could transcend the sport. I really do. Just picking up on what Matt said about Tonga and Samoa, you, you, and North America, you see it a lot in the NFL. The amount, mm. of, the amount of players who come from Hawaii, which is essentially a, a Polynesian island, just one of the American states, coming and not only playing the NFL but become stars in the NFL, shows that the Pacific Pacific Islands are almost like they're almost like born to play sports like rugby league, like American football, and things like that. So it could it, again, like Matt said, it. This tournament, and if Tonga and someone do really well in it, could open the game up to a lot of people of Pacific Pacific uh, heritage who live in America. And I'm thinking, I fancy a go at that. I think there's, I think France as well. You know, I think I think the French game is is at a real intriguing position right now. Um, we've seen Catalans appoint a rugby union based sporting director. That does very obvious reason for that. They are planning to tap into that market. Um, we all know that there are sceptics, even naysayers, um, even people who quench the erratic, um, you know, the decimation of French clubs in the, in the European game. Um, I think if they could make the semis, say, that, that could be huge for, for what they're trying to do over there, especially with the 2025 World Cup coming. Um, so I think there are so many nations that would massively benefit from a good run whatever that looks like for them I think it just elevates international rugby league and, and if we are you know tapping into whatever IMG may be proposing if we're looking at you know, the IRL have had their congress here and we're still waiting for this 10 year calendar that I think was promised about <laughs> 10 years, 10 years ago <laughs> um, but if you put international rugby league on the agenda by what happens with this World Cup and, and I, a Pacific Island team may win it or uh, we've already know that England are going to be playing France now in an international uh, mid-season window on a regular basis. Then suddenly you are talking about let's start with the international game and work down rather than let's start with a club game and work up. And I would hope that that would be the major legacy of this World Cup that everybody wants to know when is the next time the Kangaroos will be coming. We will be having a three-test um, series with Tonga, who might be the world champions next autumn. Will England be going on tour and taking in? Uh, you know, a test in Fiji and a test in PNG and a, and, a, and a test in Samoa. And actually, once people start wanting it, it's it's going to happen. And if it happens, then the game will be enriched. Uh, and it's easier to turn the game around through an international pinnacle than it is Warrington playing Casford ten times in a season. I, I must say, yeah. though, I, I don't buy into the the argument that you've got to either start with club and worry about internationals later or vice versa. I think both can be a focus um, mutually. Yeah, and I just can think work and can work together. And a, a lot of people in this country, as you well know, Phil, are, are domestic, domestic, domestic. Yeah, but I, I think if we're talking about investment mm-hmm. rather than supporters, then people see a World Cup like this and think we want to invest in the sport. The level they may not invest at is club level. It may be what yeah. can we do to sponsor the England team or to. Do we do we not need clubs though? Yeah, I just be, think we've we've had the pinnacle, the, the pyramid, the wrong way around. 
I don't dis- I, I don't disagree. The clubs will grow bigger if England yeah. if England are bigger. But I but my, my, my counter would be the international game grows bigger if the clubs grow bigger. I always say well, because of the development and production yeah. of. But players. I think if somebody who hasn't seen Joe Batchelor play brilliantly for St Helens all year sees Bachelor J twelve bracket St Helens, they they are inquisitive yeah. to know yeah. who are St Helens, where are they, you know. I don't. Are they I don't disagree. I just think people will 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 people who don't normally follow the sport. We'll get more interested in it through that international dynamic. One, one thing I always say is that Leeds should be huge in Leeds, Hull and Hull KR should be huge in Hull, Wigan should be huge in Wigan, England should be huge in them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Sam Tompkins, he, he's from Wigan, and I don't like him because I'm from Leeds, so he should be. <laughs> that isn't, but, the, but that that issue comes back to a lack of international games. Mm. I don't want to think I don't like Sam Tompkins. But, but if there was more international games where, regardless <laughs> of who you support, Sam Tompkins was on your yeah. team, yeah. that absolute hatred wouldn't wouldn't be there because you would have to, even if it was begrudgingly and reluctantly and silently, I'd support him <laughs> at the time, you would do, wouldn't you? And then maybe, I think, and I think that, that is an issue. That definitely is an issue as a result of a lack of international And also, if Sam Tompkins wasn't very good, would Leeds fans hate him? But do people no. actually hate him? Because I no. just think it's a parody hatred to be no, honest. I, I, like, I, they hate him because he's so awesome. Good. They, he's awesome. The, the biggest so, cheer of any game is when Sam Tompkins makes a mistake. Yeah. And it's the biggest yeah. show of respect you can show to and Sam Tompkins as much it. as fans will hate it. He the booing. He smiles. Cause I was at that, so that semi-final first aid stop with Challenge Cup. I was obviously researching the Salford end <laughs> and Sam was doing punditry at Channel 4 and the Salford fans were going hard at him but he was just cheering and giving them a wave and they loved it like it's just it's parody I think it's about about creating stars yeah. yeah exactly and, yeah. again you're going to do more easily through international league because you're going to have people who don't watch the game week in week out like tomorrow afternoon for example turning on the television in the afternoon and seeing rugby league players and if anybody does anything incredible they're going to remember that person mm-hmm. so that, that's uh, interna- the international game is the way to push the personalities within the game and the personalities within yeah. the game are what will push rugby league Brave called this but Jack Wellsby will be Sam Tompkins in 10 years time <laughs> you can already see it because he might be this World Cup possibly this could be his stage mm-hmm. but he, he's, he's already got that swagger yeah. he's already in his interviews got I, I was going to call it Arrogance, but I, I it's don't a think confidence. 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 But people hate it. People hate it. He, he came out and said, "If we win, we're the greatest team of all time." And people couldn't stand it. So and then they won. Yeah. And he came out and said, "We're the greatest team of all time." And people absolutely <laughs> hated it. And if he carries on like that, people will absolutely hate him. But what's yeah. wrong with that? Because he's yeah, a character. No, no, no problem with that at all. That sort of comes back to like the self-deprecating nature of rugby which we've always had a bit of a chip in that way. Where, where anybody who's got a slight bit of confidence and, and is good and knows they're good and tells you they're good is going to come in for a bit of stick. Yeah. When in actual fact, well, they're just telling you the truth, really, aren't they? Because they are good. Somebody like, in an earlier era, for example, somebody like Gary Schofield will come in for a lot of stick because he was, he was a fantastic player, Gary Schofield. People either forget it or weren't <laughs> around to see it. But he's an amazing player. But because he's got a big mouth, and he does have a big mouth, sometimes <laughs> yeah. he talks the truth, and sometimes he's a bit of a stranger to it. Uh, but it's his opinion, uh, and it's what the game needs. It needs opinions, it needs big personalities, it needs characters 
uh, and that's why I really like international belief because as soon as you get them in that area, then they, they transcend it. They go beyond what we all think as sort of hardened belief fans, and they get out into the into the general public. I think it's liking them for being good, aren't you? Rather no, than just liking them for being But I think the, the, the other thing is an appreciation of skill. Because yeah. I think because we see it every week and come to expect it, we take it for granted. You know, I want to see Tommy Makington score the kind of try that he scores most weeks. I want to see Dom Young announce himself on the international stage. It was something ridiculously spectacular that I think now, um, with the way certainly the BBC have got a digital arm behind all of the match coverage that they're doing, and, yeah. and certainly what IMG have told us, even in the sketchy plans of their initial proposals, this digital arm, League 7, is going to be massive and is going to kick in pretty quickly. <coughs> they are going to appeal to a new audience because they're going to take areas of skill and show them to a younger um, and, and, a, and a more, I think, an audience that is more uh, less critical because it's got no, no baseline to compare it to. Yeah, what would be great, of course, after Saturday when Dom Young scores a hat-trick of tries and <laughs> we're all celebrating and high on the hog, is if we could go into a shop and buy a shirt with Dom Young, his, his name and his number on the back. Because I know the Australians have ruined squad numbers for everyone. <laughs> but Dom Young could become an icon with his number, which I don't know because I've not written down in front of me. 14. 14. 14. He could be... Well, number 14 is the first sub. That, that, that's, no one, that's not attached to any position. He could be rugby league's number 14. He could yeah, be Johan Cruyff of rugby league. The, certainly, certainly in, in England and the UK, the use of the squad numbers thing now because the Premier League had them for mm. 20 years. So, I think because I've come from watching ice hockey and American football in the past, it's just something that's just... just happens. Just used to it. Just. But again, that's another example where we've got baggage. Um, and yeah, hard and fast rugby league fans carry baggage with them. And when you get a tournament like this, the vast majority of people watching tomorrow will have no baggage, none whatsoever. They, they won't know that Dom Young plays in the NRL. They won't know that. They won't know that he's pushed right in all of They won't care about it either. And, and if, he, if he was to score a hat-trick tomorrow, then he would become instantly... Uh, better known than Paul O'Reilly Hall immediately. I was sticking a statue up from me in Wakefield if he scores a hat trick. Yeah, well, just not far from here. Is that Wakefield New South Wales? The, um, the uh, grey monument. Grey monument, well, yeah. Be on the top of that, only this tomorrow tea time if he gets a hat trick in the opening game. Now, that would be a story if he's on the top of that tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might be on the top of it actually. That wouldn't be a story. <laughs> it wouldn't for me. <laughs> Victor Radley and Tom Burgess have been seen on scooters. Yeah, they've been like, spotted on scooters flying around Newcastle. Oh, oh, no, that's what's happening with that. Because one of them's been <laughs> nailed on to yeah. fall off. And yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's got freaking good waiting to happen, hasn't it? It's not too long ago, I remember being on one of these Sean Wayne media calls where he meant, it was just after he'd been to Australia and Domian wasn't returning his calls, was he? So this has all turned around very quickly and he's gone from shooing for Jamaica with his brother to now starting for England in the first game of the World Cup. Stories, that's the other thing, big story. Domian's played his way in, simply. Whether it's falling off your bike or whether it's going after the stories and they're getting the, the sport into newspapers and onto TV bulletins. Just driving up here today on radio. I'm not a radio one listener. I was being given a lift by my daughter. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> come on, you're a big fan of all the people. I don't know who's on radio one anymore. World Cup led the sports headlines on radio one today. I'm just imagining you with radio one pumping out your bass bins, out your boots. Strictly, strictly six music me, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm very elderly, but I try to stay a little bit cool. I, 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 I listen to six music. I'm younger than you. Play, though, you've got the metal. 
Fletcher newspaper that is like on every train station platform, every bus. Power Jane Sally, the woman of the And there's a rugby league wraparound on it. Tom Halliwell. Can't argue with that. There's a strap on the front page of the Daily Express this morning, which is completely unheard of for rugby league, I would have thought. So so it gets you in places which uh, the domestic game is just not going to get you. And was a rugby league story on the front page of the song, was it yesterday? <laughs> rugby league story on the front well, page. Well, Richard Mabel's on there. He plays rugby league. Ah, Number one well, for Ireland. If you're giving it, if you, yeah, if you're considering that, I suppose you're right. Well, you can't pick and choose your stories. That's the other thing. Um, and I think a lot of people in rugby league have also traditionally been quite sensitive, um, and they're going to have to be prepared if the game does ever change in that way. That we all want it to and start to get more coverage, to have every moment scrutinised, and also the people running the game, by the way. They're going to have to be prepared for that as well. I was just going to say, if you want, if you want to take the game to a new level, you have to be prepared for that new level of security, new new level of coverage, don't you? So you do, yeah, and it's not all going to be positive. So you know that, that just goes with the territory. Well, this is where for a long time I've advocated that if you are a professional rugby league player or if you are a top level female wheelchair player, whatever. Go over your social media and just delete everything. We've seen this week, was it five cricketers were charged by the ECB? Two of them were women posting something ten years ago where they were in blackface before they were, you know... Obviously, they shouldn't have done that, but if you're aware now of what things you should and shouldn't do, you should go back and delete that. Because if you haven't deleted it, well, you're doubly stupid to do it in the first place. But it's going to be an interesting time, as you say, with the added... Women's and wheelchairs exposure in this World Cup. It's going to be interesting to see how those players become acclimatised to a different kind of pressure because it's okay being on Sky, it's okay being on our league, it's okay being on podcasts or whatever, but they're going to be on BBC Two, they're going to be on BBC One throughout this tournament. People are going to know who they are for better or worse, so I hope they're, I hope they're prepared for that because it's going to be difficult. Yeah, but they've got the best stories. Particularly the you know the wheelchair squad. So there's unbelievable backstories to to anybody that plays that game, and the more that people get exposed to it and are in shock and awe as to what happens, the more they'll want to know how those who are playing it, who who may have you know suffered for their art, for you know how they've got into that chair. That's that's the story we want to tell. The same with the women. I mean, you know, there are, everybody's been captivated by what the Lionesses have done. There is an appetite for women's sport. We've got women who are doing the most incredible things, making the most unbelievable sacrifices and not being paid for it. But they are great stories and we need to tell those stories. And again, in terms of perhaps what the international game can do ahead of the club game, there might be a sponsor out there that says, actually, don't know a lot about rugby league, but I really admire what these women are doing. I, I really like the name of my product across their shirts. I'm really pleased to see AMG focusing on the women's game because that, that can be huge and where we've come so far which is great I mean we've made a lot of advances but it's slightly alarming to me that we're still that our top clubs in the women's game are St Helens I mean York are uh, probably the difference that proves the rule really Wigan, Leeds we have to have bigger ambitions than that there's no earthly reason why women's rugby league can't be far and wide it doesn't have to stick to the same old footprint it doesn't matter how, how many people are turning up to watch it Nobody's being paid at the moment. There's no excuses at all for the game not to be actively going out and seeking other clubs and asking them, can you put a team forward? You know, we're, we're playing a game down at Arsenal, aren't we, uh, in this competition. You should be asking Arsenal. You fancy having a women's rugby league club. 
There's absolutely no reason why those sorts of things can't happen. So it's very encouraging to see a company like IMG are obviously tuned into that and saying, look, don't make the same footprint of 1895 now. This is not 1895. There's no reason why your top clubs have to be these clubs. And linking back to the exposure and the publicity and also the venues as well, the key message they give to everyone in all three squads is the game you're playing hasn't changed. It's still the same game you play at, say, Busvale as you would do at the Emirates or Old Trafford. Um, but uh, and then so don't there's, there's no different version of there's not like a BBC version of rugby league than there is a Sky version of rugby league. It's just the same game. That, that's the message I say to everyone in all three squads. The game you're playing doesn't change because it's it's a World Cup. But we've all got to be looking forward to surely the first captain who completely cocked up the captain's challenge. Like in cricket, it's brilliant. <laughs> we go back to the Ashes a couple of years ago. At, uh, at Headingley and Ben Stokes ridiculous innings and of course he's got a rugby league connection but that wouldn't have happened had the Aussies not wasted their reviews so I, we can have the same here I love it I, I always love the NRL when whoever's made the error is adamant to the captain that it, nothing wrong challenge it and he's playing love it yeah, yeah. and the rest of the team just scowl at him <laughs> I, think, I think Elliot White had said in the week that he has actually done the captain's challenge for Canberra but never wins any of them promising given he's one of the only ones with experience of it. Yeah. We, we, generally, everything is done. There aren't too many rule changes, are there? Um, it's sort of an amalgamation of yeah. Super League rules and NRL rules. The captain challenge is the biggest NRL thing that's been brought in. Also, apparently, to play the ball with the foot, which I know one soccer fan we're very keen to see <laughs> with his signs. He had his signs of the Fiji game as well. But uh, and then I think I think these, these sort of more Super League sort of slants on the. Set of restarts and the the owl thing. I like, owl I like the eighteenth man concussion rule. Yeah, I think that, that's that, taking that, the game forward. As well, yeah. That you, you know, you name your eighteenth player, and if you have three concussions during the game, that eighteenth player becomes active. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think that says that at a time when clearly the, there's a lot of litigation going on, and there'll be uh, multiple eyes on what sports are doing to protect their players. I think that that's a really important. It's addition. a nod to the reality of the situation yeah, yeah, we're yeah. in, isn't it? Without warning, though. I'm going to moan. <laughs> Without moaning, no, I am. This is the negative rebelling podcast you're allowed to. No, it's just, it is a bit frustrating, isn't it? That we, don't have, we, we all have to learn the, the umpteen version interpretation of rugby league's rules for the World Cup. Hmm. Surely, surely, a priority beyond this must be to get a set of rules that both Super League and NRL can abide by. Uh, what can, can there might be? Might be approved wrong here. Can anyone tell me another sport where there are different interpretations of the rules? Well, I mean, the only one could be cricket, but those are different formats within the sport. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't have DRS in India or Pakistan, do you? You don't have, you don't have the video review yeah, system yeah. in India or Pakistan, do you? But apart from, I think you can have local rules in any sport. Yeah, so if yeah. there are conditions that you know, like there's eight foot of snow, there's. Oh, it's like when you play Monopoly, you, you put money on free well, parking. You would have thought there yeah. was a codified set that virtually I mean, covered all the professional. The best one is, as we mentioned last week, with with Tamsin Maruf in, uh, in in Catherine was the women's game over here, the international game, eighty minutes, Australia seventy. We've got the forty twenty. They've got the fifty thirty. It's just, honestly. And you would hope that another of the things that might come out of this is that the IRL has more say in what it wants to do for the sport. Yep. Um, I think there are 
some people coming on board. Luke Lacoste has obviously now been made the vice president. He, he's going to be in charge of the next World Cup in 2025. I think Peter Valandis and um, Andrew, Abdo. Andrew Abdo are coming on. You'd hope there'd be a, a little bit more uh, communality among things like when we're going to play, what rules we're going to play under, what priority international rugby leagues. Because if you've got the right people on, then it's not just another group of people with no power that are trying to exert it over people that have all the power but but don't want to relinquish it. IRL don't feel rudderless now, does it? Not as a, not as much as it. I think Troy Grant's done a great job. Yeah, he has he got rid of the Excel spreadsheets? Has he got rid of <laughs> it's no longer a tuck shop. Yeah, the tuck shop mentality with the accounts and everything. Oh, I love the tuck shop. <laughs> <laughs> you woke up when he said tuck shop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, because of, you're looking forward to the media food across the World Cup. Oh, well, if it was anything like the last World Cup, then yes. Yeah, I'll show oh, there's there's a lot of food. It's probably easier to say what you didn't get. Yeah. We should point out for anybody who's unfamiliar with 4020 magazine, I can't imagine there are many who are, but Gemma's column is a regular haunt of um, food, isn't it? Box. Can I just say, I am not on stage because there was an incident in the pre-match warm-up, and somebody... That is visible, <laughs> fell off the stage, yeah. and now I'm scared that if I sit on the end, and the only I will fall off the stage. Can I, so can I point out it wasn't me? I like to it be, wasn't me either. I, can I point out it wasn't me? It was Rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anyone wants to sign Richard up as a stuntman, it was awesome. Was it filming by then? No, no, it wasn't. No, no, it, wasn't. it was unreal, though. I'm like, I'm still like in slow I'm motion. Not sitting up there for it was like reason. when Carl Watkins was It wasn't, but the, but the dent on that metal play on that door wasn't there before. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when I got the recording for the applause. <laughs> <laughs> what else has happened apart from the World Cup? Is there anything? Because we'll come back to what we think about it. Is there anything else that's happened apart from York have changed their name? What York Valkyries fan? York are now York Carroll FC. Knights of the men's and Valkyries of the women's, yeah. aren't they? I like it. No idea, yeah. Good on them. I think like York City, as I think, it just confused me with the football club. But, you know, yes, they're not, true. Because they're not connected to them, so why, why have the word City in there? It's not when Salford had City in there for a bit. It's when, I think, it's, if I remember right, it's when York had a ambition, um, after years of toil and struggle and misery, that they were going to sort of rebrand themselves as a big city club. Yeah, but... Um, so I think that's where it came in. But yeah, it's probably outlived its usefulness now. Rydale, York City, Knight Valkyries. <laughs> Try and fit that on the badge. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Jake Connor's gone to Huddersfield, so I don't know. Where's Luke Gale going? Does anyone know? Um, Battle Wakefield. Matt Sean must know. So you know. I can honestly tell you I don't know. Wow. <laughs> that's more of an exclusive than telling us something that he doesn't know. disappointed in your performance there. Right, yeah. Would yeah, no, York have a look at it? I don't know. Oh, Zach Hardegg agrees about. I wouldn't be surprised if Zach ends up at Featherstone. I have a feeling now that Jake Connor moving from Hull might see him end up there. Yeah, true. No, I have no. heard that. I've heard, I've heard the, I don't the think word. they've got the cap space. I think, I think they've got rid of quite a lot of it. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll bring in... Um, they just announced someone else. They're, they're going to bring in um, oh, Newcastle halfback, Jake Clifford. Yeah. So Clifford will come in, but Clifford's going to take up a fair whack. Mm. There's not going to be enough to sign Zach Hardacre with what's left from Jake Connor's admittedly large salary. And he can't go to well, they lost a half back halfway through last year, so they've saved a bit of salary cap there for Clifford. Mm. But they've brought in an extra centre. Tex Hoy. Hoy's come in. Dwyer's gone in. Truman won't be cheap. Sutcliffe's gone in. I don't think he'll go to Hull. Mm. 
I don't know where I linked up Hardacre. I, I wouldn't be really want to surprise if he ends up at Featherstone. That's where he, I think he wanted to end his career, but in Super League. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's quite as an attractive opportunity. <laughs> I was, was going to tell you what's a point worth raising. What's going on at Toulouse? Oh, so I thought you were going to say Keithley. No. <laughs> what, what's going on at Toulouse? Because from what I can gather now, they've got about nine contracted players. Everyone's leaving or has left. There's players who were at the club that are signing for Elite One clubs. What are they doing? But do they have to do anything other than wait for IMG to yeah, say you've got a Category A line? So we were talking about that on the way up. You know, It's a shame that Newcastle have gone from full-time to part-time, yeah. but the way the game is at the moment, why would you spend money? Uh, yes, you can still get promoted. Exactly, yeah. why, why, would you, why would you spend money? But you, you're in that race, aren't you? You, you know, Featherson have found out this year that you know, when you've got two people trying to yeah. run in a race, one of them is not going to be successful. So... You know, who's going to go for it from League One next year? Yeah. And why would Toulouse necessarily do that when they've got the stadium? That being said, that being said, now I, I might, don't know whether that's, I, whether I, they're cost well, saving. Well, I might be miles off here. I might be miles off here. But I was told by someone who I tend to trust that, from what they know of IMG's plans for criteria, they'd be staggered if there's any more than four Grade A clubs. Mm. I was told five or six. But so, you know. To lose, lose that, to lose going on that, to lose that going to be a great. No, day. but they yeah, would rank as a high B, and high, B. and high Bs are going to be getting in Super League, aren't they? Well, uh, I mean, we're talking, we're talking twenty twenty five. I think it's going to be a hell of a and it's a risk and a gamble. But would you spend a lot of money? That you say, you didn't you need say to high spend? Bs, though. If you're a B and you're in Championship, but you're a high B, I don't think that'll automatically get you Super League. I think there'll have to be some on-field performance to get you there. Mm. And if to lose a well, the squad's decimated. They've lost everyone. But France is also one of these key markets, along with yep. women and London. Mm-hmm. So, you know, does the same apply to London? Do London need to go out and spend big, or can they slowly and incrementally build their playing side, maybe as a part-time club, mm-hmm. in the knowledge that the stadium they're at at the moment and what they could bring to an AMG vision of what yep. the sport should look like? Would take them higher up the B rankings at the moment yeah. when they kick in. Yeah. And maybe Toulouse and London is. Their academy side, that? Yeah, would there be more value in Toulouse getting more young French kids in over the next two years so that when the grading comes in, and maybe, they've ticked more boxes? And maybe that is it. Maybe that's it that they know, because we, we know that Catalans and Toulouse is going to be a minimum number of homegrown domestic yep. players they need. So do they go right for the next couple of years? We're not bothering, yep. we're not bothering with his first team, we're putting all his money in. Maybe that is maybe that is the answer, yeah. but I don't. From from, I tell you what. Next year, looking at Toulouse coming down, I, I I really struggle to see how they'll be competitive next year. Now, I think it's a grand opportunity for any of the rest to get up to Super League, a Featherstone or a York, or dare I say, a Halifax, if they mm-hmm. if they can find a way. Witness have spent some money. Sheffield. Keithley Cougar spent some money, which would be very ironic it given would. what's happened in the last 24 Which is why perhaps they shouldn't be saying anything at the moment. I, I would tend to. I, she- Sheffield again have spent big for next year because I think they can see a playing opportunity. Um, well, so some clubs will go down that route. They've got, yeah, they've got a Jeremy, very wealthy investor. Jeremy Liversley, is it? It's very, very wealthy, but as wealthy as any of the investors in Super League. So I think some will go, let's spend now and try and get up there and stay there. And others will go, let's not spend because we can see that there's a wider vision coming in a couple of years' time and maybe we can be part of that. Because whoever's spending big now, he's spending big on a thing where they don't actually know what they're going to be spending mm-hmm. it on. That's right. So once, once, 
you'll probably find that once teams know where they are and what they've got to improve, they'll spend on that. Mm-hmm. Mentioned Catalan before. Catalan was spending quite a lot on the ground as well mm-hmm. because they finally got the clearance to do the one side where the, where the tunnel is and they, they want to do the other side as well. So they've got all three sides. I mean, admittedly, they're not going to get rid of the swimming pool anytime soon, but they're going to get all three sides, like the like the one behind the post as well. Mm. So it'll be a smart ground when it's when that's done. But I think I think you will see some clubs invest, like at Featherstone, because ultimately, if they can get up next year, and then the whole category A B comes in, if there are category B and there isn't twelve category A's, and they, they stay in Super League on field, they're in, aren't they? Mm. Until yeah, they yeah. finish. So there will be some clubs, like, and Featherstone will definitely be one who who invest big. Because the way that Toulouse are going, they're going to say, well, we're the favourites to go up. There you are. And then everyone can moan that there's three teams from there. The no one's going to mention yeah. that way. No, it's just... I thought, thought you were going to go to the final. Well, I just did. My only fear for Batley is they've lost a lot of good players. Yeah. And as it stands, they've, they've not replaced any of them. Mm-hmm. Keegan Hurst come back, but they're going to, how do you replace Gilmore? How do you replace Hooley? They always seem to do it, though, don't they? They do. I mean, Craigley got some wonderful. Yeah, you, 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 look, you look at them at the start of every year, and every year people are saying, "Well, I might just struggle a little bit this time." Um, and they always seem to exceed expectations. It's just because it's a very well-run club. It's a bit of a cliche now, but it's true. Well, yeah, uh, true and if yeah. a few more clubs at that level ran the game back <laughs> to the top level as well, ran, ran their clubs yeah. in the same way, uh, the sport as a whole would be a lot healthier, certainly financially. Ima- imagine telling a Bradford fan ten years ago that Batley had been a top. Benchmark of what you should be aiming to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that is, that's not being, being derogatory for Bradford, that's absolutely true. No, isn't it? But I, I think the other thing, yeah. having spoken to Craig Lingard about it, because he writes a, an excellent column in a monthly <laughs> magazine, yeah. um, he is cognizant of the fact that they can keep doing what they've done, but what they need is more crowd. Yeah. So, you know, it, he'll get that family atmosphere around his playing group. He, he knows exactly what he wants from. His guys, and when they buy into it, they become very difficult to beat. Yeah. Even though on paper they may not be the strongest-looking team in the division, but even he has said, you know, we, we, our, our core gate is about a thousand. Mm. As a club, what we need to do is make that two or three thousand. Once he do, once they do, if they if they can do that, and it's not for the one they're trying, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you perhaps need a few more people involved in the running of the club and to it, do and that. It's not just the numbers; the numbers obviously important, but also younger. Yeah, audiences. but then yeah. you'll be able to buy better. Either, is it? No, no, it's no. everywhere. It's now. a big problem. It's a big problem with the game, really, that you have an aging fandom, if you like. But Less then, so but the then he can league. buy better players yeah. on the back of that. So it, it is a you know, chicken which again chicken is and another reason why World Cups are important because if exactly. there's one thing that gets kids excited, it's wall charts that you can fill in and, um, and international competition mm-hmm. that feel like they're part of something big. So. And it only needs you know, what is it? Yeah. 20, 30 kids in the Batley area to want to pick up a rugby ball on the back of what they've seen who may or may not have heritage to other nations and just say I want to go and join Batley Boys or I want to be at Dewsbury Moor Greg Johnson playing for Jamaica exactly you know how how many kids are going to get excited about that in Batley a lot I would think so that's that's a good thing Um, and it's it's something the game as a whole has to look at and by the look of the AMG proposals they've realised that it needs a younger audience on on AMG because I think it is it does link with the World Cup, even though they are two completely separate issues and maybe started off on different roads. They are merging with this 
World Cup tournament because we're looking at what the future well, is. You're aware of the international dimension, aren't they? Because that's mm. one of the issues. Do, do you think that the. Uni- oh, do you, I'm taking your job. Do you? Um, <laughs> Feel think, free. Think that the initial proposals were trying to walk before they ran, that they're trying to establish some degree of credibility with owners of the sport. They're trying to put a realistic time scale in so that people know exactly what they've needed, rather than just coming and go, right, we're changing everything, we're changing it tomorrow, and then you get dissent. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of their opinions. My, my reading of it is they're trying to tip it through it all at the moment. Yeah. And I can sort of understand why, because people have always criticised the RFL, often quite justly. But the big problem the RFL's always had is the club owners. The club owners are all powerful in this sport, and it's unfortunate, really. Normally, I'm very much a, a Democrat. I'm, I'm, I'm for freedom of speech and all that sort of stuff. But I think when it comes to professional sport, it has to be run like a business first and foremost. And there are just too many voices of vested interest in rugby league. Uh, and the only way anything's ever going to change is when that changes, and you've got people running the game, a bit like in American football, where they take charge of the competition and they make unpopular decisions at times. At the moment, I don't believe that can't happen because clubs have traditionally voted in their own self-interest and that's often not the game's wider interest. So it's difficult because IMG come into that situation. Um, helping them somewhat is the dire financial state the game is facing at the moment. Things have to change. and I think more and more clubs now are coming to realise they can't carry on in the same old ways. Things do have to change, and I think that's starting to change minds. They realise that we can't. If you if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always had, won't you? Um, and I think that IMG are actually playing quite a canny game at the moment. And just at first, I was a bit disappointed with it. I thought this is just hot air. There's there's no substance to it. But as it's gone along, and I've seen the little bits that they've put out today, and they were yesterday, uh, extra little sort of tidbits like, for example, reading between the lines, you can see that the days of Super League are over. The name Super League will be gone soon. That's going to happen, but they haven't come out and outright said it because they're towing through everything. And the way that, all right, Keithley have spoken out. I think before Barrow spoke out as well. But beyond that, there's been very little dissent, hasn't it, at the moment? Mm -hmm. The game does seem to be quite unified in in the idea that it has to change. It's facing up to those facts. So on that basis, I mean, the proof of the pudding will be the actual details when they start to come out. But at the moment, I think they're playing a, a, a really quite canny game. Canny game. (laughs) I <laughs> think a lot of what IMG have done is put a lot of responsibility on those clubs to say, look, okay, you 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 think you what you do is best, but we our record is undoubted in what we do and developing things. You, you your very top levels, all right, but it's built on a shaky foundation. The, the, what they're doing is to make the foundations a lot stronger, and when you have stronger foundations, you your top level can go even higher. Um, the, the two the two key slides that I saw were the, were the ones where they basically the end game ones whereby they want to go to a fourteen team Super League eventually when they've got twelve category A clubs and things. But they they were phrased as twenty twenty question mark not twenty twenty six twenty twenty seven. So there's no hard and fast limit as to when we when we do this because then people say well what if it doesn't happen by then? So they they, they kept it fairly open ended that. You, you build and build and build. Now, how, however long that takes to build, then it gets to a position where they can sort of make it a fourteen team way from there. I think I think the onus is effectively on the clubs. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm going to speak from personal um, experience here because I know I can do it in in Halifax and Halifax have been in Championship for twenty years now, 
and I think for the vast majority of that time, whoever's been in charge, whoever's been on the board, has gone, well, of course we have ambitions to be Super League, but it's all empty words. You know, yeah, they don't really. Of course they have ambitions to be Super League, but not going to actually do anything to really do anything about it. Or have the resource. Or, have the, or, or simply have the resource yeah. to do it. Absolutely, and that's why they can't do it. But now, the, for clubs like Halifax who say this, well, IMG are going to go, okay, well, this is what you need to do. This is, and if you do it, you're in. Happy days. So the fans who blame X, Y and Z, well, it's all in the clubs now. The clubs have to go, right, okay. I think Halifax is really interesting because they've just had a consortium take them over. Yeah. And and some of the rationale behind that, and as you say, the proof of the pudding will have to be in the eating, was they looked at the IMG proposal and thought, this is the right time now mm-hmm. for a group of um, concerted businessmen with, with some resource behind them because they've combined it to actually look at the club and say, right, we're going to be told what we need to do. And so we're going to be in a position to do it. So that change has already happened. I, I don't know enough about the Keithley situation. I've, I've not been there for years. I, I'm not um, not in contact with anybody that decided to make the statement. I just think, again, that Keithley, I think, may have an issue behind the scenes about how they become a Category A club. Yeah. Now, whether you hold the game back because you can't become a Category A club or whether you think we now need to look at what we were planning on doing in a slightly different way because we need to become... And that might be for, you know, might be we've got a great ground at Lorcombe Lane. It might be that we're getting two million quid off Bradford Council to put a new main standard. It might be that that still wouldn't bring it up to Super League standard. So instead of doing that, do we need to look at maybe a new ground on the edge of town, appealing to the whole of the Air Valley? And and, and I think it's just putting the onus on the clubs to mm-hmm. look at how they can be better. Yeah. And now yeah, is probably yeah. not the time to be saying, I think the proposal of just ending promotion relegation is the wrong one. I suspect from their recruitment that they've done this already this off-season, which has been fantastic. They were looking at being one of the leading clubs, and they still can because if they got promoted, they would still go up. Still Just that when they got their grading, they might not be as high up as their playing the, position gives them. But, I mean, but the thing is, this idea that promotion relegation is going is wrong anyway. If a grade B Absolutely. Super League club, if a grade B club finishes bottom of Super League and a grade B club finishes top of Championship, they'll be promoted and relegated, uh, relegated and promoted respectively. So it, it's only that. The, the only thing that really changes is that on the off chance that a grade A club, i.e. a Leeds or a Wigan finish bottom, which by the way hasn't fin- happened for 42 years, which <laughs> probably tells you why change is needed somewhere, then that's the only time that will ever change. So it's not really a change, it's just people getting in a hissy fit over nothing basically. And of course that time Wigan cheated and broke the salary cap. <laughs> but, but, but apart from that, you're right. You're right. And, and, and even when bottom, Wigan yeah. went down in 1980, they finished fourth bottom. It was when there was four. And they didn't down. come up as champions. No, they didn't. They were behind York. You can sort of understand why Keithley Walkers would be nervous, yeah. given the history of '95. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one about, but it is a long time ago. Exactly. Now. Yeah. It's nearly thir- well, nearly thirty years ago. So I think, and and the signs are, it, it is a weird sort of time for them to complain because they're, all the practical sort of signs are great aren't they? they're mm-hmm. doing everything right absolutely. yeah they're developing so, on and off the field so they are, they are, yeah. why, why come out with a statement like that and also it's an area with which I happen to live in which um, has got vast potential because you, it'll take you into Lancashire out to Corn and Burnley and places like that it'll take you up uh, towards Settle and those sorts of places out into the Dales I mean Keithley could actually be the rugby league of the Dales quite honestly and it wouldn't be a ridiculous thing for them to do but it probably would need them as Phil says to just maybe budge a little bit up that Air Valley Trunk Road and look at a new stadium or something. If, if they are genuinely uh, rejecting it because they truly believe in the 
in those core traditional sporting values of promotion and relegation, then I almost applaud them for it because, you know, fair enough, if that's what you believe in and that's what you believe British sport should be, so be it. I mean, me and you have had a conversation about this for years and, and I have begrudgingly accepted that this, <laughs> this grading as it's gone to has, has to come through. I don't like it. I don't. I would much rather But, I, but again, I think it, that's playing to what we are and not sometimes yeah. what we I think no, we I agree. are. I agree. But yeah. in existing football as well, I mean, certainly in the last couple of years, there's been a case of, well, if you win the National League, you, your ground's not good enough for the EFL. Tough. You don't get it. Or you, you adapt to our rules. Like, Sutton United got promoted had to rip out their... AstroTurf pitch and put grass running because you're not allowed AstroTurf pitch did Hawk have to do the same so they did they did it they go right well we'll do it mm-hmm. whereas like what well, I, what I, it seems to be like is the way the way Keith live acting now is that say, say they were football saying they get promoted in the National League say well we're not, we're not ripping out our AstroTurf pitch why should we do that it's all wrong how dare you do, do you know the other argument I see that I just I, I find laughable is when people say well Brentford got promoted, <coughs> Huddersfield Town got promoted and were competing with Manchester United. I hate to tell people, if Huddersfield Town were a rugby league club and we're getting the crowds there, they'd be one of the biggest clubs in, in Super League. <laughs> so it, it's an absolute and they didn't, baseless comment. Yeah, they didn't compete there. anyway. They, they spent a hell of a lot of money to get out yeah. of the Championship yeah. and had a year in the Premiership where they survived and Huddersfield are, are back where they were mm-hmm. and... You know, Brentford, and I don't think are going to be in the Champions League in the next couple. No, of but years. I think yeah. the point, the point so is the, back the, where the they, dream. It's all about the dream. Huddersfield are back where they were, having had five hundred yeah. million quid with the Premier League money. Yeah, yeah. I well, think well, the, the other thing to to mention, and and obviously it's not intruding on private grief of another sport, but you do look at well, one that isn't dissimilar to um, another that plays with an oval ball, and the problems <laughs> they are having at the moment with overspending and under regulating. Um, you know, we don't want to go down that road. Yeah, you, know, that you would think that certainly Wasps, I don't know enough about Worcester, Wasps would have been a Category A club. Mm-hmm. Should we go by the, uh, Lost to the Coventry game. Stadium? Lost to the game. <laughs> so again, I think you do, you do have to... Take the money sh- out of, out of Odds and put it into... You do have to show a degree of you know, regulation of your own sport Coast, and yeah. not just leave it to yeah. force, market forces. Should we buy some? Have they got any decent players coming, Nick? Midlands Hurricanes should be knocking on them. <laughs> it's a terrible name, Wasps, anyway, because they're parasites, aren't they? Well, just annoying. Yeah, no one likes Wasps. Well, why, do they, why do you have so many names like that? Wasps, Anderson. They have no connection to any players. Watch still Hornets. Yeah, Hornets. Watch Hornets. Hornets were one of the first, weren't they? You used to be a wildcat. I hope you're wearing my wildcat t shirt all day. <laughs> Now that we don't have the name anymore. You've got some funny looks in that pub, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just the hair. Yeah. That's just generally in, in general. Yeah. Um, the World Cup, as we, you know, the, the audience are waiting with bated breath to find out who's going to win all three tournaments. Hmm. Who's going to win all the World Cups, Tony? Oh, right, okay. Uh, one, two, three. Um, now then, I think you. For all that we want somebody else other than Australia to win it, <laughs> being not playing to cliche much, but being a Yorkshireman, if I had to bet on it, I would have to say Australia. You won't, you won't make much money, that's the problem. No, yeah, I won't make, well, I won't lose it, is the point. Well, that's true. Um, but if anybody but Australia is going to win it, then I, I, I think New Zealand. Again, <laughs> <laughs> if, only, if we just had the World Cup last year without them, 
England's not even getting a look in. No. <laughs> England, England, England are not going to win the Men's World Cup, yeah. and, and realise this is online, and I really, really hope I'm wrong, but I don't see that. Um, I think it'll either be Australia or New Zealand. I would Clearly there's a chance that, that Tonga or Samoa might just surprise people, and that's great, and I hope it happens. Uh, but I can't see it past Australia. The other, the other two, uh, again, I can't see past Australia and New Zealand for the women's. Uh, but the wheelchair is another matter again. I think I, I have a feeling that's going to be the most successful competition in terms of people viewing it on the BBC, the yeah. wheelchair competition. And it's probably going to have a France-England final, in which case then probably England are going to win that. Um, people are used to watching snooker and bowls and stuff on BBC <laughs> Two on an afternoon. And then there's all these people in wheelchairs bashing into each other. Yeah, it's, it's, Human dodgems, it's amazing. It's just completely it's exciting. And it's, it's one of those things where you watch it through your fingers. I mean, with the wheels and stuff, don't, don't people break the fingers? That's what I always say. It makes you cringe. Unreal, isn't it? It? But they don't, don't care. Yeah. They don't care. They're, they're just they get thrown out of it. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't even have somebody running on to put them back in. They've got to do it themselves. It's, it's a pretty <laughs> awesome spectacle. And I think that when people, the general public even, and rugby league fans, who, let's be honest, most probably haven't ever seen a game, um, are going to be impressed by that. And if England win that, that that'll be big news in itself. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, who am I to say that England might well romp through and win it? I hope they do. I forgot to ask you, Gemma, because you're there and working out. No, I, I actually uh, agree with the boss here, actually. Um, yeah. What, Gary? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm. No, no. Uh, no. I know my role, don't I? will definitely not agree with me. <laughs> I, know I, I do think Australia will win the men's and the women's. But I am going to agree with Kevin Sinfield, who we saw at Waterhead Warriors last week, and he has also predicted that England will take the wheelchair. Sir wheelchair. Kevin, did you listen to his Desert Island Discs? Oh, I did. Wholesome is how I sum that up. Can wholesome. you believe he picked Undercover's cover of Baker Street? I don't I know. Love, it's I amazing. It amazing. Australia, Australia, England, sorry to England, men. Kevin Sinfield doesn't listen to Six no, he's so um, he's he's hard. He's Does, doesn't yeah. strike me as a six music listener. So yeah, those are greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, those are my predictions. Matt, Tonga to win the men's, what? Uh, New Zealand to win the women's, and England to win the wheelchair. Even if Australia won nothing, wouldn't it? Imagine it would be fantastic. That's, no, oh. I was hoping someone would pick up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Our Australian friends listening. I can just see it happening, and then, and then the Aussies saying, "Oh, we don't care about international rugby league anyway." And I think it'd be the reverse. Yeah. I think that would come from they already know they're coming fourth ranked in the world, and it rankles with them. Yeah. It's their own fault because the, the ranking is based on the number of games you play, not the quality of your yeah. domestic competition. Yeah, I think that's so, well, if they lose, that's a good thing because yeah. then it will sort of fire them up more. They'll try and send Queensland and New South Wales in the next World Cup, <laughs> to, you know, just to spice it up a little bit. Phil, you asked um, you asked this very same question at Catrick, and I don't, oh, I? I don't think <laughs> my choices. We've had another week now. I don't know. No, no, but, but I think you know it's now. We've, off the stage yeah. since yeah. Then. Now we've had a chance to meet yeah, the sure. teams, look at the squads. It's possible that opinions could have could have changed, having seen the strength of the New Zealand pack. Um, even in part and even against opposition that clearly were there to provide an opposed training session rather than a competitive yeah, game. Leeds are not a nation that, 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 were, there, yeah. that were there after yeah, a week, yeah. a week yeah. on the drinking yeah. IB. So you yeah. can't read so, yeah, yeah. too much into the result, but what you can say is that was an awesome pack performance with at least probably four players to come into that. The schedule is 
likely to have Australia playing New Zealand in the semi-final. And I think that New Zealand pack is stronger than the Australian pack. So I'm going to go for New Zealand to win the men's. Um, I think the women's, it's going to be fascinating. An, an Australia-New Zealand final. I think the draw does work out that they can meet in the final. Um, but the, the strength of the NRLW, even though I, you know, I acknowledge and, and, and hear from you know, people like Emily Ruggs that this is going to be the best prepared English team, I think you know, getting to the semi-finals will be a, a really good achievement and something that actually should be celebrated. Don't forget in the last World Cup, England's women lost to the Cook Islands in a group stage. I think we won't do that. I think we will make it to the semi-final and then we'll either play... Um, I think, is it New Zealand with you to play? I can't remember. But I think um, Australia will win that. Um, and I'm absolutely convinced, having spent a bit of time around the players that play for England in the wheelchair game and the fact that they've got Jack Brown, who's come back from Australia, who is arguably the best exponent of the wheelchair game that there is, and Seb Bashara. Um, I, I can see England winning the Wheelchair World Cup, and for me, that makes it a successful tournament, irrespective of anything else. Oh, he's been coaching, was it Queensland he's been coaching? Jack's been coaching the Queensland Same. team that won State of Origin. Yeah, so he must have inside knowledge. Yeah. Gary? This is, what, this is where I get told I know absolutely nothing. I mean, I've had a bang to the head. Again, the is, is this like being at home, then? <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to my world. Um, having seen them, having seen them play last week, I genuinely, genuinely think England can win it. England can win the men's one because because I saw them play Fiji. Who were no, who were no duck eggs. They made the last three semi-finals. England played them without six of their best players who were sat in the stands about four rows in front of me, and to beat them fifty nil. Take some doing, and I think, as as always happens in tournaments, teams build from as tournaments go through. I, I just think England have got enough in their arsenal to win the World Cup. I really do. I think. I mean, obviously, the small game will be the biggest test, but what a game to start off with, and what a game to send a message to say look, we are serious about this. And having spoken to a lot of the players. Yes, yes, they've been written off by a lot of people, but they're not really fussed about that, if I'm honest. Having spoke to them all, um, but no, I, I do, I do generally, genuinely think England can, can win the men's World Cup. Women's one, I'm going to go stereotypical and go Australia. Wheelchair one again, like Phil said, I think it will be a France England final, and uh, I do again. I think England, England can win it. England can win the wheelchair World Cup, but the the French have got the facilities. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of players. The difference is the French have the facilities to hand, whereas here here in this country, you're playing mostly on sort of basketball courts, sort of adapting and adapting arenas. Where in France, it's like you turn up, you're there, done. I think that may sort of help the French in their in their aim they're used to they're the very unified too. they're used to the surroundings they're used to the size of the arenas they're used, they're used to having more fans around the around the court as well so England can win it but I think France will edge it just 4th of November at the EIS in Sheffield France Wales that's going to be the uh, Jody Boyd Award just bashing the French it's going to be great um, I think we're done and thanks to the audience here in Newcastle <laughs> Uh, where, where are we next week? Are we in? We're in Salford on Tuesday. Salford on Tuesday. With, in the afternoon. With? Well, 
Oh, we're going to... I'd like to keep TBC. it. TBC. No, we've got a few. Um, Steve Mascot's coming. He's launching his book. I don't know if he's got a booker. Um, we're at St Helens on Thursday. St Helens? Steve Mascot's coming to that as well. He's the launch of He's a theme developer. Is it still on the BBC podcast he's doing now as well? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so two next week. Excellent. It'll be great. And Salford's in the afternoon, uh, St Helens in the evening. Um, Tony, have you got anything to p- plug? Um, to plug, uh, you're, getting, you're getting applause there, already, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Good, good. Only uh, 420. <coughs> well, no, there is a book on Batley. There's a book on Batley, which has been out for a while now. But it does uh, give you as relevant a story today as it was when yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. It, it does, does, yes, thank you. Um, have, have I got any other books? Uh, <laughs> being Eddie Waring, <laughs> but that came that. out about 14 yeah, years ago. I think so that is now out of print, I think. Yeah. Although there is, if anybody's interested in knowing more about Eddie, there's... Uh, they've just dug up all these old episodes of Desert Island Discs, which Kevin Simfer was just on, and the Eddie Waring episode has been unearthed, which had been lost forever. And when I was writing that book, I had to go via transcripts from the BBC archives in Caversham. Well, now I could just actually listen to it, and I did uh, yesterday morning, uh, and it's wonderful. So I highly recommend, if you've not heard that episode, just listen. Mayhem, mayhem in the league, apparently. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just a little chunk of the 1970s. Mayhem in Rugby League, it's like chaos with Ed Miliband. Yeah. Um, Matt, <laughs> Rugby League Live. Rugby League Live. New signing. New signing, James Graham, columnist for the tournament. Yeah, pleased with that. Good capture. Better than reading what I write. So, so. <laughs> I agree. Um, I agree too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we are going... We, we, we've, <laughs> we've, uh, I've, I've, I've pretty much sacrificed my life, social life and everything else for this tournament. I've never known work like it. I'm, uh, I'm booking December off. I've, it, we're a bit crazy at the minute. We're, put, we're writing too much, I think. Um, so I'll just leave James Graham to do it all and then quality will go through the roof. So. I am trying to... I've just put, I was asked for my availability for work because I've got a proper job uh, for November and it's like I want to go to all these games but <laughs> I also want to earn some money because yeah, I've got yeah, bills yeah. to pay it's like yeah. but I do feel this is like almost a once in a lifetime thing so uh, Phil uh, apart from the magazine yeah buy books fortunate to be uh, contributing to the match day programme so this World Cup buy so the programme to which Gary has indeed contributed. Someone's um, already flogging them on eBay for 13 quid. I think, it's, even w- cost out of the, I think it's worth it. What, the... World Cup programme. Have I seen it? No, it's not out until tomorrow, yeah. the first one. Has it been printed? And that's not me, by the way. I've not, I've not like the ink the is, box. The ink is still wet and it's, it's been driven up here It's not ended nights. up in the same way as the castle film in Huddersfield. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that the van doesn't get uh, kidnapped tonight on the way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... I'm, yeah, that, that's a joy as well because you get to chart the tournament as it's happening. So, yeah, if you if you if you do are a collector of programs or you do want the historical record of what we're going to get in the next five weeks, then get a World Cup program. Six pounds at the ground will have a five pound from the back. Yeah, of the, the, the final program will be a yeah. tenner at the collector's edition. Gary, the sun, and everything else. Just uh, just busy writing basically for the next six weeks, well, hopefully six weeks, as England get to the final. Um, but no, it's, it's what, been, what happens if England don't get to the final? Does no, I, I still, yeah, I still, no, I still, I still write about, I still write about the World Cup and everything. Just, but um, no, it's been, it's been really enjoyable the last sort of couple of weeks uh, as it builds up to the tournament and the papers giving it really good coverage and things like that. So I mean, I just I can't argue at all with what they've done. But I really like sort of getting getting the stories about the players and also like some of the stories that aren't England related, like. 
Michael Chaker the other day was mm. was went watching Wales v Lebanon when Lebanon were Lebanon were, were very good, but and the Le- Lebanon fans are very very patriotic, like seriously patriotic. Mm-hmm. Like I was like in, I was like in sale a Haywood Road in sale surrounded by Lebanese fans. I'm like, whoa! You, I mean, I've seen patriotism in England, but that, that's a whole different level. That. Just wait till you see what the Samoans were calling Matt Parrish on our YouTube page. Comes up laughing tomorrow. Thanks for watching. We'll be back throughout the World Cup. Salford and St. Helens next week. <laughs> Download the podcast, buy the magazines, do all the stuff. There's the off button. Where's my mic?